Greetings, friends. Greetings, friends in Christ. We'll get right into our text then from Galatians chapter 2. When you are... When you are sharing the gospel with someone, when you are telling someone about Jesus, you can expect to hear some skepticism. You're going to run into people who are skeptical about the Christian faith. And they're going to hit you with questions. They're going to hit you with all sorts of questions. They're going to hit you with questions like these. Um, if, if God is so good, then, then why do bad things happen? Or do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Or would a good God really send people to hell? Or isn't the church just full of hypocrites? Maybe you've heard some questions like that. Do you know, that, do you know where most of those questions come from? They are rooted in and birthed out of painful and hurtful pasts. Most of that doubt and skepticism with those kind of questions that try to unravel God's truth are rooted in and birthed out of hurtful and painful pasts. So you have, you have this kind of thing. You know, I love the idea of the gospel and Jesus sounds great, but, but my experience with church and church people has just been very different than that. Or I, I love the idea of Jesus and the gospel sounds great, but I, I just can't reconcile that with, with what um, I saw my mom go through with cancer. Or I, I just can't reconcile that with the, this painful and, and dark experience I had in my life. So you're going to run into this kind of skepticism, these kind of questions and these kind of doubts. And our role as people who love Jesus is to lovingly and patiently walk with those people and lead them to the answers that they need. Then there's another kind of skepticism out there that's, um, that comes from well, educated people with a lot of letters behind their names, which is a very subtle kind of skepticism, but a very dangerous kind of skepticism. Um, it's kind of a historical, critical theory that Jesus and his disciples preached one message about the kingdom of God. And, but then Paul came along and like hijacked the gospel and started preaching a different message. And then you had this rift between these two camps. And then there was this kind of this um, battle over the heart and message of Christianity. But Paul's Christianity, which was different, won. And so people who believe that kind of a theory then think, well, this is why we can be skeptical about the gospel. But the truth is, there are a lot of historical problems with that theory. And even more so, there are a lot of biblical problems with that theory. And our text happens to be one of them. So let's walk our way through it. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So for 14 years, 
Paul had been preaching the gospel among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people of the ancient world. And it was the same gospel that we preach here today, that you and I are sinners. But God removed our sin by sending Jesus to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again, to give us the holiness we lack. And that forgiveness and that salvation is a gift from God to us. He gave that to us. It's a gift of His grace. And, and God, in fact, even gives us, through His Holy Spirit, the faith which trusts and receives that amazing, wonderful gift. And as Paul preached that gospel that we heard, that we, we heard him in the earlier lesson preached there in the city of Antioch, as Paul preached that gospel, thousands of men and women came to believe in Jesus Christ. But then there was this minority of Jews that became a very loud minority. Why, why is it that it always works that way? The minority becomes louder than everybody else. There is this minority of Jews, they become a very loud minority, and they had some problems with the gospel Paul was preaching. So they were shouting, yes, we believe Jesus died and rose again, but God gave us the law for a purpose, and that purpose couldn't have changed once we became Christians. So in order to be a real Christian, it's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus dietary rules. It's Jesus plus ceremonial laws. We've got to keep doing these things. That's the only way to be a real Christian. We, we have to keep doing those things. So these Jews called Judaizers, and we call them Judaizers because Judaism is the religion that only accepts the Old Testament, don't believe in Jesus. So they believe and teach you have to obey the commandments and all these laws to get right with God, but they didn't accept Jesus. So Judaizers were trying to Judaize Christianity. That's why they're called Judaizers. And these Judaizers, they would follow Paul. Remember, Paul went from city to city. He would set up a church and then he'd move along. And then after he would go, these Judaizers would come in behind him and then they would raise doubts about the gospel he just preached. They would call into question the gospel he just preached. And they would say, uh, he didn't get it all right. You can't be a Christian without being circumcised. You can't be a Christian without obeying these ceremonial laws. You have to do those things too. And you can imagine that created a lot of doubt and confusion among those Galatian congregations. So Paul went to Jerusalem. Now, read carefully there. He was not summoned to Jerusalem, okay? It wasn't like, you know, he, the, he got called into the principal's office because he was in trouble, and they summoned him to Jerusalem. Paul went because Christ told him to, in a revelation. And he went to Jerusalem and he brought Barnabas with him, a circumcised Jew along with him. Barnabas, one of his companions on his missionary journey. And he also brought Titus along with him. Now, now Titus was a ham sandwich eating, bacon loving, uncircumcised Greek who happened to love Jesus. So, so it's as if Paul was saying, look, here, I brought Barnabas with I brought Barnabas, a fellow Jew, along with me. And by the way, he and I both happened to follow some of those ceremonial laws too. We're not out there saying, we're not out there preaching that all Jews should stop obeying all the ceremonial laws. 
If you want to keep those dietary restrictions about what you eat and what you don't eat, if you want to keep observing some of those festivals, if you want to keep circumcising your children because you love Jesus, great, do it. In fact, Barnabas and I, we still do some of those things. We still make some of those vows and sacrifices and, and observe some of those festivals. But we have freedom now. We do not have to do those things. We no longer are obligated to do those things to give us standing before God. And so we should not insist that others, especially Gentiles, do them. And my pal, my pal Barnabas here will testify that he has seen thousands of Gentiles who are not circumcised, who do not follow those ceremonial laws, come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The same Holy Spirit works through the same gospel to make them, to open their hearts, to make them believers without being circumcised. They're, they're saved without obeying those ceremonial laws. They're, they're coming to know Jesus without following those rules. In fact, here's one of them, my pal Titus, an uncircumcised Greek who happens to love Jesus. So Paul's got one of each along with him to show them that the gospel's for everyone, to show them it's not about obeying the rules. So then Paul, it says Paul lays out his gospel. He lays out the gospel. He sets forth the gospel to them that he has been preaching among the Gentiles. He lays it out to the, the leaders there of the apostles, um, this gospel that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. And they listen to Paul, and they probably check things out with Barnabas, and hopefully even talk to Titus. And as they talk to Titus, they realize he obviously is a believer in Jesus. His life has obviously been changed by Jesus Christ, and yet he is not circumcised. And here's the thing. Maybe the most important thing, uh, verse of the whole text. They do not compel Titus to be circumcised. So in other words... Those apostles in Jerusalem accepted Titus as a Christian brother, even though he wasn't circumcised, even though he didn't obey those ceremonial laws. In other words, the apostles agreed with what Paul was preaching. The gospel Paul was preaching is the same gospel the apostles were preaching. The apostles were not teaching that you had to add those laws. They were teaching it's Jesus alone. They did not tell Titus, well, you've got to be circumcised. They knew that's not the gospel. They agreed with Paul. The apostles and Paul preached the same thing. They did not. They were not telling people, you also have to do these things. You see, the problem didn't come from the apostles. The problem came from somewhere else. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So enter the Judaizers. People claiming to be Christian but saying some pretty unchristian things. And, and whether, whether it was, it, it was deep-seated issues driving the skepticism or they, they thought they were more educated than other people driving the skepticism or they just liked to argue, they were the ones bringing this up. They, it says they, they slyly infiltrated these congregations with the purpose of taking away from them 
the free gift of salvation. They were making them slaves again. They were taking away their freedom in the gospel and making them slaves. In a sense, they were dragging them down. We're miserable. We want to drag you down to our misery. They were dragging them down into their level. They had two arguments against the gospel Paul was preaching. First argument was, um, if you only preach the gospel and you, you don't preach the law, people are going to live, live like, like hoodlums. It, without the law to make them moral, people will never be moral. And, and they won't fear any consequences. The second argument is uh, the law is holy. The law is divine. God gave us the law. You're saying it can't justify us? So those were their two real arguments. But there's one answer for both arguments. Okay, there's one answer for both arguments. The law tells me that I must love God. The law tells me that I must love my neighbor. I should not worship things that aren't God. I should not covet another man's wife. I should obey my parents. I should not gossip. I should not cheat, hurt, steal, etc. So the law reveals to me the way that God wants me to live in the universe that he created. Really, the law shows me the best way to live in this universe that God created. But listen, the law has no ability to save me from my failures to obey the law. The law has no ability to save me from my failures to obey the law. So the law is the diagnostic tool. It is not the cure. Let me illustrate that for you. Let's say, let's say you're starting to notice, as you're, maybe as you're playing outside with your kids or you know, doing some physical activity, that you're starting um, to get more winded than usual. And you notice that you're even getting more winded than just, you know, being as out of shape as you are. And you're starting to cough up stuff that you shouldn't be coughing up. It's like you're living with this eternal cold. So finally, you notice this long enough to, that you decide you're going to go in and see the doctor. So you go in and see the doctor, and he sends you in to get an MRI scan. So a few weeks later, you go in for your MRI scan. You get the scan, which I hear is a real fun process. And then the doctor makes an appointment with you and he tells you, bring your spouse along. And so a few weeks later, you go in for that appointment with your spouse and he has both of you sit down. And then he shows you the MRI scan of your lung and there's this bright orange glowing ball in the middle of it. And he tells you, you have lung cancer. Now what did the MRI do? It showed you you had a problem right? But the MRI was powerless to cure you. You could go, you could climb back in that tube and get scanned as many times as you want, but the MRI would never do anything to cure you. It would never do anything to save you. All it is going to do is diagnose what is wrong with you. The only thing that that MRI scan will ever do is show you how sick you are. Now, the law of God is holy and divine. What does the law do? The law is the diagnostic tool that shows us that we have a problem, that shows us 
what is wrong with us? Because without that law, we would never know that anything is wrong with us. So, so the law shows us what's wrong with us. But the law can never heal you. It can never cure you. It can never heal you. And, and the reason that so many of us don't live in the joy that, that Christ has given us is because we keep going back to the scam. We keep going back to the law. We keep going back to that scan. But the scan is only going to show you how sick you are. The scan is only going to show you, it's always going to show you that you've fallen short. The scan is always going to show you that you are a liar, a cheat, a murderer. That you haven't been holy enough for God. That you could never earn or deserve His love and forgiveness. That's what the law does. It shows us that we need healing. Jesus is the cure. The law is the diagnostic tool, but Jesus is the cure. So if we can follow this illustration all the way through then, when Jesus lived and died and rose again for us, he took all of our sins away and he gave us his perfection. So Christ is in us now. We are in him and he is in us. God sees his perfection in us. So when you go back under that MRI for that scan, now it's going to see Jesus' perfection in you. That glowing orange ball of cancer is gone. It isn't there. Because Jesus' perfection is in you. Your, your chart is clear. Your test is clear. You are clean and holy. Because it's not scanning you anymore. It's scanning Jesus. Now, when we, like the Judaizers, get those two things mixed up, um, we, we either get to thinking, well, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job, or we get really down because we think Jesus is really disappointed in me because of how badly I've messed up. And both of those mix-ups lead us to do what? Lead us to stay away from Jesus. And that's exactly the last thing we want to do. But when you get connected to the true gospel, you once again get set free from that slavery. You once again have that joy returned to you. And then the law, which was a diagnostic tool that showed you how sick you were, now becomes a guide to show you how you can live to thank God. So the law says, you know, this is how marriage works. So God isn't trying to give you a bunch of rules to follow. He's trying to show you how much joy there is when you walk in it the way that he designed it to be walked in. And that's living with a whole new joy. Verse 6 says, As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message Paul is not trying to disrespect the apostles. It's not like, well, they, they had this great start. Now, what, why is he disrespecting them? Paul, he's not trying to disrespect the apostles. There's no rift here. He's just saying, hey, there's someone bigger than the apostles. All right, I'm not disrespecting the apostles, but I just don't know why we need to make a big deal about the servants when the king is here. The apostles are powerful men of God. We've been blessed by their ministry. 
but someone is bigger than them, and the ultimate authority belongs to Jesus. And, and Paul is like that. He always lumps himself in with, with those apostles. He lumps himself in with, with us he, he, in his humility. Why should we be giving ourselves credit when there's only one who gets credit? So he wasn't disrespecting them. He was just reminding that we're not... He's not basing his teaching here and, and, and the good news that's going to come in a second because they were apostles. The good news is there because of Christ. But these guys who did walk and talk with Jesus, who God gave this ministry to, here's, here's the thing. Listen to what he says. He says, these guys added nothing to my gospel. In other words, they agreed with me. My gospel is Jesus only. They didn't add Jesus plus anything. They added nothing. They agreed with what I'm teaching. They're backing me up. We're on the same page. So the apostles and Paul preached the same gospel. Jesus only. Not Jesus plus any works. And then just look at, I'm not going to read them all right now, but but you kind of scan through verses 7 to 10 there. And here's what he's saying. Galatians, look, there is no argument, there is no rift, there's no disagreement between me and the apostles. Look, we shook hands, okay? We agree, we're preaching the same gospel. So those people who are telling you that we're teaching something different, they're wrong. We're preaching the same gospel. Now, I might be doing it among the Gentiles, they might be doing it among the Jews, but it is the same gospel. It is the same gospel message so there might be different contexts of ministry there might be different cultures that we minister in but it is the same gospel message that is changing hearts jesus is the only gospel there is and he is working through both of us same thing is true for us today okay whether we're working here in mississauga or west coast or east coast or down south in the states or way down south in st lucia like we saw in the video this morning so you might have different cultures of ministry different contexts of ministry but it is the same powerful message the gospel of jesus that's what makes changes that's what changes lives and look just like what happens right there in the end of verse 10 just like paul and his people work together with the apostles and their people, very different ministries, but yet they all work together to do what? To remember the poor. So you have, you have completely different focuses of ministry, same gospel message, changing Gentiles across the world there with Paul, uh, changing Jewish people and, and helping them see the Savior and Jesus over there in Jerusalem, doing different stuff, doing different ways, but same gospel, but they're all joined together to remember the poor. And that, that I can't help but think of our church body that we're part of. And, and that video is, was such a good way to show that, that we are all working together. And some of our offerings right here across the life went to help them. And some of their offerings come to help us. And we get to help the poor all over the world, whether it's the physically poor or the spiritually poor. So when we bond together and work together, even though we have different styles of ministry from one end of the wells to the other, the gospel makes a difference all over the world. Case in point, I'll, I'll close with this. I got an email this week um, that talked about a, uh, a girl in Chiang Mai, Thailand named Peng. And our brothers and sisters from uh, Promise Lutheran Church there were talking to her, this girl, about God. 
And, but Peng said, um, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I'm not a good person. Those are painful, gut-wrenching words to hear. I mean, what inner turmoil, what pain must there be in, in carrying around a, a weight like that? Can we understand what, what, how that kind of a weight must weigh on, on someone's heart and mind? Praise God. Pang's burden was lifted. I think you can see a, kind of see a picture over there. Maybe we'll see it better when the lights are off. But she was brought to faith in the good news that all her bad things were taken away by Jesus. And she is saved because Jesus did everything for her, even if she isn't a good person. And that is the gospel. And that's why Paul was not going to give in to any other teaching, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. The gospel was at stake here. And Paul loved that gospel way too much. And he loved those people way too much to give any ground. May you and I be just as stubborn on this one with God's help so the gospel remains with you and me. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.